I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. On the 15th of February, UK television presenter Caroline Flack took her own life. She was just 40 years old. During the last 10 years of her life, Caroline had been poured over by the tabloid press, vilified in 2011 for a brief relationship with then 17-year-old One Direction singer Harry Styles, and becoming public enemy number one in the eyes of the media in December 2019 after she was charged with assaulting her boyfriend. Caroline pleaded not guilty to the charges, and her boyfriend, tennis player Lewis Burton, said he did not support the prosecution. But the tabloid press, and particularly The Sun, would not let up, with intense coverage of Caroline's life dominating celebrity stories for weeks on end. The charges in December unleashed a torrent of speculation about her mental state, her finances, her career and her relationships. It was an unbearably toxic environment that felt little more than victimisation. Between September 2019 and her death, The Sun, The Daily Mail and The Mirror published no less than 120 articles about her. They ranged from salacious gossip through to vicious accusations. After her death, the Daily Mail sent a push notification to the phones of its readers detailing the manner of her suicide, a serious breach of the Samaritan's best practice guidelines for fear of copycats. It also published pictures of the inside of Caroline's flat, in their words, where she killed herself. There was no respect to be seen anywhere. As news of Caroline's death broke, social media users en masse were quick to point the finger of blame firmly at the tabloids, especially The Sun. What we can't say, and we mustn't say, is that Caroline sadly took her own life because of the media, because obviously there will be many, many complex reasons for why she did that. But what we do know that she was subject to many shaming stories, lots of falsehoods, often without redress. And she talked about how that was impacting her mental health. Now, we wouldn't see these stories in the press if there wasn't a voracious appetite from the public for them. And there's the rub, isn't it? So if we didn't consume the content, they wouldn't print it. Sarah Waddington is the MD of a management PR and marketing consultancy and the founder of the Future Proof community. She hits the nail on the head here. It's too simplistic just to blame the media. While both the tone and the volume of coverage of Caroline Flack amounted to something of a witch hunt in the months leading up to her death, journalists aren't stupid. If no one read such stories, they wouldn't write them. And this raises serious questions. Does the media have a duty of care to the people it writes about? Are those who read the stories equally, if not more, responsible for the impact of those stories? And where does the balance lie? Let's start with the media. I think the media has a responsibility to, I mean, we've always talked about um, what their role is, which is, you know, reporting, stimulate debate. But I also think they have to take responsibility for the impact that they have. Laura Sutherland is a PR consultant, the founder of PR Fest, the chair of the CIPR Fellows Forum and the chair of the PRCA Group in Scotland. But I think that we all have a responsibility to tell the truth and it has to be based on facts. The demand side of the equation is very difficult to ignore, however. In truth, and like a lot of people, I wasn't really aware of Caroline Flack until relatively recently, when it became clear that just by walking through a supermarket past the newspaper racks and 
magazine aisles that she'd become somewhat of a target for this sort of press. Now, while we could think of that as a reason to lay the blame squarely with the press and the print media, the reason we get these stories and the reason that individuals are targeted is because we're buying the papers. The people who manage news websites aren't daft either. I mean, they'll be fully aware of which stories sell the most papers. They'll know which parts of the website gain the most traffic and they'll use all of that data to fulfil the demand that, as a society, we're creating, whether, that, whether we like to publicly admit it or whether we don't. That's Mark McIntosh, Marketing Engagement Officer at Oxford Brookes University. So what's the answer to this? Is it regulation of the press? For a decade now, we've been talking about whether we need greater regulation of the press. You know, the news of the world actually shut down. It was closed after a phone hacking scandal, which was just the tip of an iceberg. You know, there was a Royal Charter drawn up. We had Ibso and Impress introduced as independent regulators, but they both are seen to be most widely quite toothless watchdogs. And uh, and if you look at sites like Hacked Off, um, you can see countless examples as to why. It's a, it's a difficult one because you've got critics of press, re- press regulations saying that it hampers uh, press freedom and independent journalism. Society of Editors in the last fortnight have said that we shouldn't call for tougher type of regulation. But we've now had the def- death of a celebrity, we talk about Caroline Flack, and she was hounded by the media. And it was so much so that the Sun even deleted articles that were written about her the day after her death. So it's a really complex issue. The Sun's response to the tragedy of Caroline Flack's death is a key element of this story. On the day the news broke, Sun editor Dan Wooten tweeted laying the blame at the feet of ITV for failing to provide support to Caroline. The next day, the Sun newspaper ran a headline blaming the Crown Prosecution Service. But nowhere did it acknowledge its own role in this. And in fact, the newspaper deleted articles about Caroline from its website the next day. I mean, it's, it's no more than a juvenile way of hiding the evidence, is it? They're looking to avoid further criticism. It's... It's essentially the human equivalent of a cat burying a turd. There is a huge, huge ethical and moral responsibility within reporting, within the work that we do in public relations. And I think that is where what needs to be revisited and what needs to be looked at. I don't personally agree with people deleting tweets that they have put out or posts that they've put out in social media historically you know and going back and doing it because they then think oh I shouldn't have done that I think that you know if if they have as an organization set a precedence or they've set the story and they've told the reporters that's what they're doing the reporters should a have their own ethical standards and if they want to challenge the sun on that then they should but equally the sun as an organization should have ethical standards And then I think it amplifies the situation as well where, you know, the son, again, is reporting Piers Morgan revealing the final text that Caroline sent him, which then brings in and names other people. So Piers Morgan has not only inflated and added fuel to a fire, but he's brought somebody else into it without really knowing the facts. And the the, the emotions that fly around, especially so close to Caroline's death, is unreal. And, you know, that it does not help anybody. I think the fact that some media and journalists immediately moved to delete content tells you absolutely everything you need to know about the state of play. And it's back to um, this whole issue of taste and decency and what we know is morally right. It's about where your moral compass sits. Moral compass, 
The Sun and the Daily Mail. Hmm. It didn't take long at all for The Sun to publish a front page with the headline, Cruel Prosecution Service, in huge letters across the front. It's the same as watching my son break something, asking him who did it, and then he'll blame his little sister. I, I don't think that people would see that headline and truly believe that the CPS were really at fault. And let's face it, they acted exactly the way that you would expect the Crown Prosecution Service to act. But in reality, maybe across the readership of The Sun, maybe it does just, you know, sow that seed of doubt. It really does come across as no more than a childish reaction, but what else should we expect, really? We're not going to see Rupert Murdoch put out a statement to say that a company that he runs contributed to the death of another human being. The point Mark makes here is important. There is a long history in the tabloid media of hounding celebrities, and over the last decade it's become far, far worse. The environment we have now has become toxic, with bullying seemingly accepted by the media, the watchdog and by society. The media has to understand uh, that the change in, I suppose, the the combination of channels of of different media, so whether it's print or broadcast or, or social media, they have to understand that the impact they're having now is far greater and different from what it was traditionally. I don't think that there is any reason to target people and bully them. And I think that's a really important message. We're human beings, essentially, above anything else. Um, So human beings can make mistakes. Human beings have feelings. People are different and they will take things differently. The human impact, and as with Caroline Flack, the cost of this environment is terrible. And it's not just celebrities who suffer from the bile of the media. Last week, Danielle Hindley from Leeds won compensation from the Mail on Sunday for printing life-wrecking lies about her business as a beautician in 2017. There was no truth in the story, but it destroyed her reputation, her mental health and her son's life at school. Despite Ipso finding against the paper in court, it took two years to get a settlement. And this continues into an age where it has now become acceptable to talk about mental health and where society has a far greater understanding of the importance of mental well-being. So why is it okay to pile into someone on Twitter with little thought or for the media to drive someone to such a fragile state that they want to kill themselves? How is there no recompense for that? From what I can draw a picture of is that Caroline, uh, she did have um, mental health issues beforehand. She was in a a sort of uh, fragile state, let's say, and that was from a continuation of bullying, I would possibly say. And to have that constantly would affect anybody. I mean, issues of mental health are much more widely recognised and accepted than they ever have been. We know what a lot of the causes are. We know that the effect that poor mental health can have on people. Even where I work, we started providing mental health first aid workshops, which wouldn't have crossed anyone's mind just a few years ago. And yet we know that coverage of a celebrity publicly breaking down is still going to sell papers. You don't need to look particularly far to see how Meghan Markle has been treated in the tabloids or Greta Thunberg, Jeremy Corbyn, even going back to Princess Diana. Let's look back to Princess Diana for a moment. She was killed in August 1997 trying to escape the paparazzi. The Daily Mail said it would never use such photographers again, something that clearly never transpired. But back in the 1990s, the internet had not yet become mainstream. There was no such thing as social media. 
What on earth would life have been like for Princess Diana with the added pressure of Facebook, Twitter and online trolling? Oh man, I've said it so many times before, but I spend a large amount of my time on social media, both professionally and personally. I hate it. I mean, it is fucking awful. I understand that Facebook, for example, want to make their platform a safer and more friendly place, essentially so that we spend more time on their platform. Hence, the algorithms work to show us what we already want to see and create this massive echo chamber where our own opinions seem to be multiplied and then fed back to us. Because of the way that works, we found ourselves in a society, essentially, where it seems that everything is either black or white, when in reality it isn't, is it? I mean, we if you voted Remain, you were a lefty snowflake. If you voted Leave, you were a paid-up fascist. In the real world, that's clearly not the case, but as opinions and reactions snowball on social media, we find ourselves in a position where a US president can say the things that he says, or characters from either end of the political spectrum or the spectrum of taste essentially are considered normal. We find ourselves now in a kind of hypersensitive environment and to be honest I think that's largely driven by the effect that social media has had on us as a society. Clearly the responsibility for behaviour on social media lies with all of us. Just this last week, a woman came under fire from the masses on Twitter after Yorkshire Tea quipped about her constantly firing tweets at them about a situation beyond their control. The response from the brand, Sue, you're shouting at tea, went viral, and it was a superb one-liner that captured the moment perfectly. But it resulted in a pile-on from Twitter users mocking her, despite Yorkshire Tea's best efforts to encourage everyone to play nice and be kind to one another. When I looked back through Sue's tweets, it was very obvious that she's angry with the political and economic environment in the UK, and more to the point, could possibly be a little mentally fragile. And I say that from a place of concern, not mockery. It made me feel really uneasy. Brands have a really, really big responsibility to make sure that they act with care and compassion online. And um, I have to say, in terms of the Yorkshire tea example, I did laugh at the line, Sue, you're shouting at tea. But that was with a cursory look at it. And actually, like you, when I went back and looked at the tweets and then you start to look at the individuals behind them, you do very quickly get a sense of who the person is or where they are in their life and um, perhaps that they're a little bit vulnerable. It, it, it is really difficult. Every brand, every person has a duty of care. The, the difficulty is the power imbalance, isn't it? If you have got however many hundreds of thousands of followers compared to someone who might have 126, is it appropriate that you're responding and drawing attention to it and creating that strident effect? I'd say probably not. Stick to what you're there to do, which is to probably cr- create and share your own content, curate some and just engage in a very positive way. Um, and you can have you can have a point of view, you can have personality, but you can do that without pinpointing individuals. Sarah says the real problem is that this way of acting online has become normalised. She came under attack herself two years ago when the Daily Mail published an article after she tweeted her views about ingrained attitudes to sexual behaviour in school books. People write stuff from the comfort of their home and office that they never dream of saying to someone's face. And, and I know that from personal experience. And while it's an offence to send a poison pen letter, you can pretty much say what you like online. And I guess that's why this whole call for Caroline's Law has appeal and has gained traction with a lot, a lot of people. 
Caroline's Law is an online petition that aims to make it a criminal offence for the British media to knowingly and relentlessly bully a person up to the point that they take their own life. It currently has over 850,000 signatures. And this brings us back around again to the media and the impact it has on everyday lives. I work a lot in crisis communication and um, one particular client that I was working on last year, if the media hadn't consistently gone after my client, then my client would have been able to calm the situation down, rectify it properly and do it much, much quicker rather than taking the five months that it did. It was inflamed by the media because the media were taking tips from somebody or they had their own personal agenda or whatever. It did nobody any good at all. The moment a tabloid pulls back from a story they want to publish because they're concerned about the welfare of the main protagonist, they're going to lose their advantage over the competition. As you can guarantee there'll be another paper or another journalist that'll be willing to go that one step further. This point about one step further is arguably at the very heart of this issue. If you trace all those one steps back from Princess Diana via Paula Yates and Amy Winehouse to Caroline Flack, you have a very long and destructive path. I honestly, honestly believe that celebrity culture is toxic. This whole council culture is toxic. So we need to decide as a society what's really in the public interest and whether we want to read these kind of stories, because actually what we're consuming a lot of the time is fake news. But equally, I do think that media have a duty of care. We need to hold them to account more. And they need to do more to protect people's mental health, because actually celebrities are human beings and not just commodities. So where does this leave us? Will the tabloid media ever take responsibility for their actions? Or are we to blame? Imagine if an editor came in at a tabloid and said they were going to take it in a completely different and new, responsible and caring direction. Or even if they were forced to by law or regulation. The problem is, as a society, we are not ready for that. We're still clicking on those links, still buying the papers. And until we stop, minor celebrities will still be hounded in order to, well, at the heart of it, for a profit-orientated organisation to maintain their competitive advantage. The only way we'll ever see the tabloids take more responsibility is if government regulation happens, which it won't, unless politics changes beyond all recognition. And then you'd have to balance regulation with freedom of the press. Or the law changes so that victims of press intrusion are awarded astronomical sums of money, which remove any profit margins the papers may have. We do need our independent regulators to step up because they're not doing enough. So outside of modifying our behaviour, perhaps the first step is to give them more powers for them to show their teeth. Because actually, my personal opinion is that they don't do enough. And if they were there, they could be a lot more effective, ultimately. What is very clear from looking into this issue and what the tragedy of Caroline Flack's death has highlighted to me is that we're currently stuck in a very, very vicious cycle. The tabloids hound both celebrities and normal people in order to write ever more salacious and gossipy clickbait stories. Readers click the links and read the papers and spread the trash far and wide on social media, which in itself does little to control polarisation and vitriol. The tabloids get their rewards and go in search of more of the same, and on and on and on it goes. So how on earth do we break that cycle? In my view, we all need to take individual responsibility for this. As I record this, reports have emerged about abuse targeted at Greta Thunberg during her visit to the UK from grown men. 
She's 17 years old. We need to pay serious attention to the future we are creating. Sarah and Mark both agree. What do we want from society and who are we as human beings? Because, you know, this be kind hashtag has been circulating since Caroline's death. And it is a really good reminder that we need to do better. We need to treat people like human beings. And like I say, think about what we post because it's just far too easy. I think we need to be better educated as to what a click on a website actually means or what commenting on a Facebook thread can lead to. We need to know what we're contributing to when we retweet a Mail Online article and we need to do our best to reject this notion that celebrity news is an important part of our day-to-day lives. At the end of the day, if we stop buying the papers and we stop clicking on the links, the stories will subside. I can't see anybody really doing anything to make this better. Genuinely, I think newspapers could disable below the line or um, the ability to share, but that's what they want. They want, they want shares. And, you know, people aren't picked up in bad behaviour. You can report things, but Twitter, who seem to be the ones who are wanting to affect the most change, aren't really doing anything like that quickly enough. I saw a comment today on Twitter about it feeling a bit like a party where an incident, a nasty incident has happened and everybody's a bit drunk and is starting to realise that they need to go home. I think we've all realised we've descended into some kind of nasty cesspit, but there's no one really there to tap us on the shoulder and say, come on. That's out of line. And if you do get involved in a pylon, it's a very, very nasty, bruising, damaging place to be. Many thanks to Sarah, Mark and Laura for their help making today's show. If you'd like to speak to them further, look them up on Twitter. And please be calm. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.